If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. We know that, you know, sunscreen can affect the ocean, but think about the other things that we're wearing when we get into the ocean, whether you're wearing hair products, makeup products, lotions, even down to like the kinds of shampoos that you use. If it's not healthy for the ocean, then maybe it's not healthy for us either. What do we need to know about how our skin and hair products might be impacting our ocean's health? Given that our underwater world feels so distant, even more distant than our lands, which we don't even always properly take good care of, how can we inspire people to feel more connected to our oceans to want to protect it? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already signed up to our weekly newsletter with highlights from the podcast, you can do so at greendreamer.com. With that, you'll automatically be entered to win our monthly eco giveaways as well. And I'll share more information on that in our upcoming email. So don't miss out. That's greendreamer.com to sign up. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is a professional underwater photographer promoting respectful and responsible ocean etiquette, as well as encouraging conservation and protection for marine life. Together with her husband, Jim, she co-founded Sea Through Sea, which is their creative business dedicated to ocean conservation and the art of underwater storytelling. If you're not already following her, make sure to check her workout on Instagram at Alicia Underwater, that's spelled A-L-I-C-I-A Underwater. Personally, I was really touched by her photography, which is really inspiring me to want to understand and explore our oceans in more depth, literally and figuratively. And I think that's the power of visual storytelling, right? When it's used intentionally to help us connect more deeply with nature, especially by talented creatives such as our guest today, it can really get people to just care more and want to help take action. So let's hear her story and learn from her expertise. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Alicia Ward. I guess you could say 
it really started when I was a small kid. Prior to moving to Hawaii, I lived on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And um, on some weekends, my parents would rent a boat and would take me and my sister out on the Intracoastal Waterway. And we would see bottlenose dolphins with regularity. And the neat thing about bottlenose dolphins over there is they do what's called strand feeding, where mm -hmm. they actually go up and they beach themselves on what's called pluff mud. And, um, and they catch fish that way. But when I was, I don't know, eight, we didn't know that this was their feeding behavior. And so we thought that these dolphins were just getting stranded. We were so concerned. We were like, oh, no, like somebody has to help them. We have to call somebody. But obviously, they were just fine. They're some of the only dolphins in the world that actually do hunting behaviors like that or exhibit those behaviors. But in that moment, kind of seeing how those dolphins were behaving and, and feeling like I needed to help them back then, even though I didn't, uh, really <laughs> kind of jump-started it for me where I was like, oh, wow, like these animals are doing, you know, all these really neat things. And once we learned about how they cooperatively feed together and, and you know, do that kind of um, strand feeding – then I got even more interested in, you know, okay, well, I want to know more about these creatures and how do they coexist with other wildlife and, you know, how do they travel and how do they communicate? And so I'd say bottlenose dolphins in South Carolina were really what got me interested in wildlife. And then we moved to Hawaii a few years later and I mean, really just everything here, Hawaii is very, I don't know, very rooted in its environment. And I think that it's kind of an, an easy-ish place to to want to give back to the community because you feel so inspired by how many people are growing their own, own food or spending time in the water or, you know, trying to work in the environment. And so I was 15 when I got started in, in underwater photography, and that was just kind of by chance. But just being surrounded by nature really, I think, is what is what inspired my passion originally. So how did you get into underwater photography? Was that, did that come pretty naturally or how did the photography piece come in? It was kind of an interesting, I sort of fell into it. Um, growing up, my mom was a hobbyist photographer and she loved photographing mostly birds and landscapes, especially sunsets. Uh, so I watched her, you know, with her camera gear and, and really admired her work as a kid. And then when I was 14, I started cleaning boats in a local marina to make some, some money on the side because I wasn't old enough to get a job yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was 15, I applied for a job as a deckhand on one of the snorkel tour boats in that same marina. And so my first day training, I hopped on the boat and just by chance met the photographer who was working on board and she was working seven days a week. And I told her, you know, I've always been interested in photography and I really love wildlife and all that stuff. And she looked at me and she was like, look, if you can take this camera and housing, if you can dive 25 feet down to the bottom and take a picture of the school of fish below us, you have a job. Like you won't be a deckhand. Wow. <laughs> Are you as a photographer? And she was like, I need help. <laughs> So, uh, so that was what it did. I did exactly that. I like scratched my way down to the bottom and took a quick photo of these fish and rocketed back to the surface. <laughs> and she said, like, Hey, you're hired. And I started, you know, the next day it was kind of, that's it amazing. Was, it's like, yeah, it was meant to be totally like thrown into it. Like didn't know a thing about cameras. I was like, all right, well, here I go. <laughs> yeah. And you do this all free diving, right? Like you don't wear oxygen masks or anything. 
Right. It's all free diving. That really fascinates me. Like, how did you learn to free dive and like, how long did it take you to master that? <laughs> I, that's a great question. I don't remember a specific point in time where I would have looked back and said like, oh, well, I'm a free diver now. Like mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, I swam in the pool and I swam in the ocean and I was always holding my breath and swimming underwater and whatnot. And with a lot of practice, I just, you know, increased my ability to dive deeper and hold my breath longer. And yeah. For sure. Well, what does that look like now? Like when you go underwater now, how long can you be underwater for? How deep can you go? Because I see your pictures all the time and it looks like you're pretty deep and you take these beautiful photos and you must be down there for quite a while to take those. Thank you. Um, so I did take a free diving course. I am geez, three years ago now. Uh, so I took an advanced diving course uh, where I was just kind of taught the scientific you know, knowledge that we have about our bodies and what they're capable of. And then through that course, um, my instructor had me push my limits and test, test my abilities. And so it's floating face down in a pool, completely still. I can hold my breath for four minutes and 15 seconds. Wow. And I'm working towards five minutes uh, towards the end of this year. And then my deepest depth at the moment is 126 feet. That's uh, so incredible. But none of that is like actual working. That is just like training to get to a depth and training to hold your breath, you know, as long as you can. So on a working dive, which is, you know, where I have a camera and I'm working with wildlife or a model or, you know, trying to take some sort of photo, um, I'm usually about 40 feet or less because as you go deeper, you start to lose the color spectrum if you don't have artificial lighting and I prefer ambient light. So all of my photos are usually less than 40 feet and my working dive maxes out at about two minutes and 30 seconds because I'm holding my breath. I'm swimming, you know, I'm training my camera on my subject. Um, so yeah, about two minutes, two and a half minutes is, is where I am. Yeah. Still incredible. Still better than <laughs> most people on this earth. Um, so with this, with your experience in underwater photography, what was the path that led you to starting Sea Through Sea? Actually, when I met my husband eight years ago is really when um, C3C kind of formed. And it was just because he and I have such similar abilities as far as, you know, water and photography. We have very different eyes. And so our work is completely different from from each other's, but it kind of complements each other. And so when we met, you know, we were like, gosh we get along really well and, you know, we work really well together. So, you know, we should start this company and just kind of do what we love together. So yeah, that was where C3C kind of came about is he and I deciding that we wanted to collaborate not only as, you know, partners, but also in as like work partners too. That's so perfect. Well, so there are a lot of photographers focused on shooting on land and increasingly in the air these days with drones. Uh, mm -hmm. Not nearly as many underwater photographers, I feel like, given how vast our oceans are. And I think it's really powerful what you do because you expose this underwater foreign world to people who might not otherwise have been interested in exploring or protecting the oceans. Um, what's been one of your greatest struggles establishing your creative work and business focused on the underwater world? Um, some of my struggles, I think it's interesting that you say you feel like there aren't as many underwater photographers. Um, but I appreciate that because it gives me some, some outside insight. I feel like as soon as the advent of, 
of, you know, waterproof cameras, all of a sudden there was an, a huge influx of underwater photographers, but mm-hmm. um, I'm sure aerial photographers feel the same way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so when I started out, I was really one of the only female, one of very few female underwater photographers. It was definitely like a good old boys club and trying to break into that and say, Hey, like, yes, I'm young. Yes, I'm female, but I have something to bring to the table and I want to contribute was, um, was really kind of tricky. And even, even still, like, I definitely feel that I have to work just a little bit harder to make my presence, um, just be, be known and accepted and, you know, for people to view me as a professional and not just a girl with a camera. Mm-hmm. So you felt like you had to prove yourself? Yes, most definitely. And I, I dabbled in surf photography a little bit when I started out. And there was a lot of um, interesting testosterone filled <laughs> conversations out, out in the surf where they're like, oh, a girl shouldn't be out in the lineup. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm totally capable of being out here. I can swim just as well as you can. And, um, so that was interesting. I, I left the surf photography area just because I prefer wildlife a lot more, but yeah, that was, that was an an interesting thing to kind of break into. I think what's really neat is that over time, the world is, is accepting women in so many more fields these days. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, today there are a lot of female or at least a handful more of female underwater photographers who are getting recognition and producing great work. Um, And it's inspiring to see them succeed. When you were just getting started, what kept you going in spite of feeling this barrier? It was really just my passion for it. I mean, it would be like somebody saying, you know, you can't be a singer or you can't be a dancer. And you're like, but I love to sing or I love to dance or, you know, I love photography. I love taking pictures and I especially love being in the ocean. And so even though there were people telling me you can't do this, I sat there and I'm like, but this is, this is my life. And so I'm going to choose to do with it what I want. And what I want to do is underwater photography. So for sure. So driven by your passion and just believing in your, in yourself. Right. Just knowing that there were obstacles to overcome, but they weren't impossible ones. Mm -hmm. Everything's figured outable. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the underwater world really fascinates me personally, because I haven't gotten to explore it much. And I really hope to do it more. But I'd love to hear like, what's been some of your most touching memories from your underwater adventures? That's gosh, this was probably seven years ago. I was in the water with a pot of spinner dolphins. And it was kind of a murky morning in an area that doesn't often have clear water. Um, so visibility was probably about 30 feet, which is fairly limited for Hawaii standards. And so it was early in the morning and it was, I I use quotation marks when I say chilly because it's (laughs) chilly for Hawaii, but I decided to get in the water anyway and just kind of check things out. Um, and so there were spinner dolphins in the area. And at one point I heard just a bunch of commotion and a lot of, you know, the animals communicating and talking and, um, suddenly like I could see the the pod approaching uh, off the right side and there was a newborn calf in the pod and I imagine it had been 
if not just born, then recently born because its dorsal fin was still flopped over. It still had little fetal folds. I mean, like when they are born, they're the size of a football. They're so tiny and so sweet. And so the female that was with this brand new calf came and brought it right over to me. Like she just zoomed right up with this calf, brought him right over to me. And I snapped a few photos and was just like elated that I got to see this squiggly little animal. And when I went home, I opened the photos and I realized that I had gotten a photo of um, the whiskers on the baby dolphin's rostrum, which is something that I knew they had. Like when dolphins are born, they're born with whiskers on their noses. But I'd never seen it before because they're tiny and fine. And even though I knew it was a fact, it didn't seem real to me until I had this image of this tiny little baby dolphin right next to me with these eight little perfectly placed whiskers on its rostrum. Oh, we'll definitely have to see this. Do you have this photo on your Instagram or online? Uh, I do have it online. I'll have to figure out where I most recently posted it. Okay. And we can link to it in the show notes so our listeners can check it out. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, totally. It was just, I mean, and I know that that sounds completely bizarre for an exciting moment to be spotting the whiskers on a dolphin. But No, I'm excited. I mean, to like... (laughs) Be able to capture that, I feel like it's really difficult because the whiskers are so fine, like you said. So yeah, it was like right lighting, right positioning, and just a lot of luck too. And um, but yeah, so that was really sweet. And I think um, I had another encounter with a humpback whale, uh, mother and calf down in Tahiti just last year with my husband. And this mom and calf just sat with us for I think seven hours in the water, just hanging out. The calf would nurse and then play and then mom would go down to the bottom and go to sleep and leave the calf up on the surface with us. And it was just a really neat moment of of kind of earning this mother's trust. And, you know, she was comfortable enough to leave her calf in our presence while she took a little snooze down below, which definitely <laughs> is not always the case. <laughs> Nanny. So sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what are like, what's like the craziest thing you've seen underwater? Uh, you know, we had a pod of false killer whales um, catch mahi-mahi in front of us, which is a really acrobatic experience. The whales, when they catch fish, often breach out of the water and they'll like throw the fish in the sky and then land on top of it. <laughs> and it's just pretty like a show. Yeah, exactly. And they jump high. I mean, these animals, they're 18 to 20 feet in length and their entire body is out of the water. Plus they've got, you know, they're like 10 feet above the surface of the water. It's incredible. So these false killer whales caught this mahi-mahi in front of us. And then the larger animal, I think it was a male, uh, ripped the mahi-mahi in half and brought one half of that to a female. And then he took the other half. And so this female then ripped that half of the Mai Mai in half again. And she gave the head and the entrails to this small calf that was with her. And she took the other half of it. And then that calf dove below us and was just kind of playing with this fish head underneath. And then he came up and he brought it up to us as if to say like, okay, well, (laughs) they shared with me and now I share with you. And we were like, oh, we're not, we're not going to take that thing. (laughs) (laughs) learn behavior yeah but it was really cool because they are they're a very community oriented um animal and so it's actually a known thing that they do is that when they make a catch they share with their pod and um sometimes even with the humans that are in the water with them so i just thought that that was a really neat unique 
opportunity to kind of to witness and then be a part of. It sounds like humans can learn from whales. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what you do to accomplish this, but somehow every time I look through your photography, it just makes me feel more deeply connected to the ocean. And I think that's what makes photography really powerful, too, because we're so visual as people. Um, I'd love to hear what you think it takes to move people, especially people who might not be as interested in wildlife to care more for the ocean. I think today it requires even more than just a pretty picture. I think a while ago, you know, we used to be able to post a photo and people were like, oh, that's pretty. Um, I want to know more about that. But I think today the Internet is so flooded with imagery now that the story behind the photo is almost, if not like definitely equally important to the image itself. And so when I make posts, I try not to just say like, hey, here's a pretty picture of the ocean. I really want people to feel like they were there with me. And so I try and communicate the experience that I had, you know, what the conditions were like. And and I try and also relate um, because sometimes, you know, the days aren't perfect. Like the ocean can be beautiful and calm and serene and the wildlife can be completely cooperative or the ocean can just be rough and angry and, um, you know, turbid, or it could be raining or the animals don't want to cooperate. And, um, I feel like lately now that I've been a little more open on the process on both the successes and, you know, the trials and the tribulations that people feel like they can connect a bit more to that just reality of it, as opposed to it always seeming perfect. I think people appreciate that there's effort and time and energy that's invested into it. And I think sharing those experiences and having them kind of walk step by step with me through this moment that it, you know, it took in order to get this photo makes them feel a little more connected to the work that I'm doing. And, and it perhaps inspires them to, you know, go in a similar direction, or even if it's not ocean based, you know, maybe get out into the wilderness or, you know, put a little more effort into into what it is that they're passionate about. And one of your biggest missions is also to support ocean conservation with your work. Based on your experience, what's like a lesser known issue to do with ocean health or marine life that you feel like most people don't know? So I feel like actually we've been doing a great job highlighting a lot of the things that the ocean is up against. We know that, you know, we have too much plastic in the ocean and we know that especially recently, Hawaii kind of highlighted uh, the harms of, of um, dangerous chemicals to our coral reefs. And so Hawaii is now banning sunscreens that are not reef safe by 2021. So those are great steps that we're doing and, you know, moving forward, trying to, to highlight and address these issues. I think for me, what's next on my agenda to really kind of bring to light is the fact that, all right, we know that, you know, sunscreen can affect the ocean, but Think about the other things that we're wearing when we get into the ocean, whether you're wearing hair products, makeup products, lotions, even down to like the kinds of shampoos that you use. These chemicals are all getting into the ocean. And so I think that we need to kind of realize that the things that we put on our bodies should be safe, not only for us, but for the ocean as well. And if it's not healthy for the ocean, then maybe it's not healthy for us either. <laughs> Um, 
so yeah, that's, that's kind of my next big thing is, is all right, sunscreen check. Like we are learning about reef safe sunscreen. So now let's, let's take it a step further. Let's say, what are the soaps that we're using? What are the lotions we're using? And are they, you know, ecologically responsible? And that's huge because I feel like even if I'm not going swimming today, like if I'm showering or just washing my face, all of that washes down the drain and our water treatment systems aren't necessarily able to filter out all of these chemicals if they don't know what the chemicals are. Exactly. Yeah, I have a friend and I love her um, to death, but we were going to go swimming a little while ago and she was putting her hair up in braids and she started spraying hairspray in her hair. And I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) We're in the ocean. You don't need to put hairspray in your hair. And it's just one of those things where, I mean, but, but until I said something, she hadn't even thought of it. That's so funny. Yeah. It's just one of those things where we're like, okay, you know, this is our next conversation to, to open up and address. Well, I feel like this is a really complex topic because people like simple, like sunscreen or straws, like people like things to be simple. What do you think is the best way for us to inspire the public to think about this issue. Also, because I feel like ocean health is even more distant to people than the health of environments around us on land, because we breathe that air, we drink fresh water, we eat food, mostly grown on land as well. Um, So how do you think we can take it a step further to get people to act for ocean health? It's a good question. I think just kind of um, what I say that I do is I post a pretty picture to draw people in Mm -hmm. and then I address an issue and just try and like open doors of conversation about these topics. And so I think that with an adequate amount of addressing this issue on social media, you know, it doesn't have to be specifically ocean based. We can say, you know, the, the shampoos that you're using are getting into the lakes that you swim in or getting into, you know, potentially the water that you drink and into your food. I mean, you know, if you're using gray water to water your plants or your crops or, you know, whatnot, then it could be getting into your food as well. And so I think just kind of strategically addressing the issue while not saying, because people don't respond well to you saying like, you're doing things wrong. This is bad. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that people respond a lot better to positive encouragement to saying, Hey, like, here's this issue. Um, I'm going to bring it to the table, but I'm also going to bring you these different methods that we can do to address it and to make it right. You know, it's not all this like doom and gloom. The world is over. We can't <laughs> fix it. It is like, okay, so maybe we weren't doing this right before, but the beautiful thing is, is, you know, we as humans, we learn through our mistakes and trial and error and, and from others. And so, you know, kind of encouraging people to just take a more um, responsible route and to really think about the things that they're purchasing, I think can have a positive effect. So really just connecting Making it more relatable to people, again, even if they live in urban landscapes, it's something that can affect them directly. Right. And because it's a pretty simple solution, too. You know, I mean, you just you I mean, there are plenty of companies and even more coming out now that are promoting that they are, you know, ecologically friendly and not tested on animals and, you know, no parabens or sulfates. They're safe for you, your baby, your pet and the environment. And so I think that, you know, just kind of paying attention when you're in the store and shopping for those products that are saying like, you know, we're we're doing good for the earth is, um, is a relatively easy step to take as well. 
And like you said, most things that are healthier for the environment is also healthier for us to use. So that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So taking another step back in the water or on land, what are your thoughts on what we need most to accelerate towards a biodiverse, thriving, healthy planet? I think, gosh, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we have ways to go. Right. Um, but we're making good steps. Uh, I think that mindful consuming is probably one of the most important things that we can do to help our environment, both on land and at sea. Um, you know, we know that the oceans are warming. We know that there's, you know, ocean acidification happening. And I think that taking steps like lessening our red meat intake and um, really paying attention to what our food is packaged in these days, like you don't need super processed, very packaged food to survive. I mean, just thinking about the life that my great grandmother had, you know, she grew up on a farm in the middle of Minnesota. And I mean, they created, they cultivated all of their food. What, what was on their farm is what they ate. And to see how far we've come from that in just a short period of time is pretty shocking. But I also think that it means that it's not impossible for us to kind of revert back to that simple, more sustainable way of life. And so I think bringing reusable bags to the grocery store, using reusable utensils and water bottles and stuff like, I know that that seems like a hassle to plenty of people these days, but once you create a habit of it, you know, kind of like you always bring your cell phone and your wallet to the store. Like it's just, you need your money, you need your identification and people usually bring their phone, you know, their method of communication. And so if we can just group in, I'm also going to bring my reusable utensils and my reusable water bottle or whatnot. Like if we can make those things as important as our cell phone or our wallet, then we're already making such great strides in reducing our single use plastic consumption. So yeah, I think it's just, again, like being a more responsible consumer, looking at what you're buying, looking at what it's packaged in, looking at where it came from and trying to support, you know, your local environment and knowing that the things that you purchase, use and throw away, they all do have an impact on your specific environment. I mean, you know, like the trash that you create is going into your, into your dump. It's not just disappearing. It's, it's <laughs> there. However many miles away from your home, it's there. So I think right. we just need to just need to kind of take a step back and realize that we are very much a part of our environment and have a great effect on it. Out of sight is not out of mind. And we really have to reconnect with the impacts of our choices. Right. My friend, um, Kimmy Warner recently did, um, this campaign where she said there, there is no away. You don't throw something away. There is no away. Like it's all still here on earth in your space. And so I thought that that was pretty profound. Like, no, you don't throw it away. So we need to be a little more responsible about, about what we do. Even if like Jim and I started composting about four years ago and it's amazing how many food scraps you can recycle. And then we in turn, turn around and put that in our garden and use it as fertilizer for the food that we get. Well, we'll just have to work on all of these things step by step <laughs> and make them automatic once they become habits. So we'll keep working on it. But for you, what's next for you that we can look forward to and support? Um, so what's next for me is I do believe that we have a trip coming up to Indonesia. 
soon, um, likely this winter. So I'm really looking forward to that because I haven't been over into that area of the world. And um, Jim and I are creating video logs. We're doing vlogs on YouTube. We have, gosh, four lined up right now. And so we're just kind of like working on editing and trying to convey emotion and intention through them. But we're really looking forward to, to sharing these because they're going to be based on the places that we travel and work that's being done in those areas uh, in order to help the environment and the local community. And then for each vlog, you know, we're trying to create call to action buttons where if somebody feels inspired by the vlog, they can use this call to action button to donate to the foundation that we connected with, you know, overseas or whatnot and, and help them with, you know, whether it's trash removal from the ocean or um, replanting coral reefs or whatever it is that we highlight on <clears throat> for that vlog. So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm nervous about it, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, super exciting. Where can we go to follow your adventures online and on social media? Online, we have created our YouTube channel, which is See Through Sea. Like you see with your eyes through sea, the ocean. <laughs> and, and we also have um, Instagram uh, with See Through Sea as well. And then I post a bit more of kind of like my personal adventures and just kind of more me and Jim stuff on my Alicia Underwater Instagram as well. So those are the main spots that we're working on right now. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to give you an exciting update, and that is that I'm finally sending the 2019 eco-planners that I've been making off to get printed this week. I'm really excited for you to see them and even more looking forward to how they can keep us inspired and help us turn our goals into reality next year because we've got lots of work to do, right? And time is of essence. So I really hope that this can help us stay motivated, grounded, and also just help us to make the most of our 2019. So super excited. On top of our environmental awareness days that I added into the calendar to help keep us in Formed, I also added one simple sustainability or wellness action for every single week of the year that we can check off. Anyway, I'll share more details with you little by little, but if this sounds like it'd be helpful to you, make sure to sign up to our newsletter at greendreamer.com because when these limited copies launch, I'll be announcing it there. But for now, to our final five, let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? Um, I love, I, ha I have two favorite accounts and one of them is the bucket list family. Um, the G's are really good friends of mine and they're very positive, uplifting people. They post regularly, uh, you know, their adventures around the world and their adorable kids. And I don't have kids of my own, but I feel very fulfilled when I see Aww. their cute kids doing all kinds of fun and fun things and, you know, learning how to snorkel and whatnot. Um, so that's where I get like my, my good hearted family feeling kind of thing. And then, um, if I want travel inspiration, I always check out my friend, Chelsea Coy. She, uh, she's also a good friend of mine and she posts just super deep, really inspirational captions along with beautiful imagery. And she's just really a beautiful soul. So those are my two go-to Instagrams. Amazing. We'll have to check them out. Uh, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? 
to stay positive and inspired. I tell myself that there's always room for improvement and um, that we're always learning, which I think is a really beautiful thing. There is no max to how much we as humans can learn about ourselves and our world and our environment. And so I think that as long as, you know, we continue to learn and grow, that good things are going to come from from that. And so just knowing that there's always something new to experience just right on the horizon is, is inspiring to me. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? Uh, I swim. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You're so active. So <laughs> I swim a lot. Uh, what's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? Mindful consuming, you know, mm-hmm. just whenever I go to grocery store, if I can't pull it from my garden and I have to go to the store to buy something, then I really try to support local. I try to get things that are not in packaging. And, um, and, you know, I try and just, just be very, very conscientious of what it is that I'm purchasing. Mm -hmm. Uh, what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? We are right now in such a great progression of awareness I mean, every day I see new posts from different people addressing uh, issues that our world is facing and also highlighting what we can do to correct those problems that they see. And so I think that it's really amazing um, that so many people are are becoming much more aware and, and caring about their environment. And it's it's a pretty awesome thing to witness. I think we're headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? The best thing I can tell you to do is is to stay positive and to know that even if there are hurdles in front of you, those hurdles can be overcome. And I mean, just every day presents a new opportunity to do new things and to do good with your life. And I think that as long as we are leading lives with intention and, you know, trying to to be good people and do great things. I, you know, I just, I can't see where we can go wrong. Even if there are hurdles in front of you, they can be overcome. And every day presents new opportunities to do just that and for you to do good with your life. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 74 for episode 74. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, Our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.